and Vince, we're so glad you're with us. Let's give them a hand. Yeah. We forgot one announcement. We're doing, um, we're starting a uh, Pokemon Go League. <laughs> Just kidding. He's totally serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's good to see you guys. We're jumping into John chapter 12 today, and um, we are starting at verse 27, so if you want to pull open your Bibles, or we'll have the scriptures you can follow along on the screen. Um, yeah, man, I love this passage because it, it actually, it does remind me of playing Pokemon Go this week. Um, and I'll explain why. Um, so my kids finally got Nancy and I into Pokemon Go. I'll admit it. I actually like it. Um, don't judge me. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was family night and, and we always try to get them to do stuff we like. So we figured we'd flip the roles and do something they like for once. And, um, the thing is, with Pokemon Go, you enter into an invisible world that's totally different than maybe what a lot of people around you are experiencing. You ever try to communicate and people around you don't quite get what you're saying? Anybody? Yeah, and so I totally set myself up for that this week. Um, it, was, it was two nights ago, and people around me were confused, especially this middle-aged white lady that was that was walking by, I saw her looking at me funny, and I thought, what did I say? And I tracked back in my mind, and I realized what I had said. I said, hey, guys, let's take the long way. I have to get my steps in so that my eggs will hatch. <laughs> and she just, like, <laughs> gave me that look. And, um, yeah, so context is important, right? And in this passage, we see uh, Jesus is talking, and this crowd seems completely lost, what he's saying seems lost on them. And I think it's because they have no idea what's happening around them. Jesus is seeing and hearing things they aren't aware of. And he says some things that really expose the world for what it is. Some things that if you pay attention today, if you accept these things into your heart, they have the power to really transform your life and help you see the world in a completely different way. So let's dive in. John chapter 12, verses 27 through 35. And as you can see from the title of this, One Week to Live, this is going to be a little more of a heavy sermon and a heavier text than most weeks. But let's dive in and see what God would say to us. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus talking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason. I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And the crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that you, the Messiah, will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man will be lifted up? Who's the son of man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light with you just a little while longer. 
Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. So believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself. Father, I I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. That as we allow your word to speak into our lives, that, that Holy Spirit, you would help it apply to our hearts, that you would help us to see and understand maybe what was lost on this original audience that heard the word. I pray that you would have your way in our lives and our hearts today and that we would leave here transformed even more into the image of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You ever have one of those moments where time stops and it's like the world seems to stand still? Maybe something significant happens and you just forget about everything else and get completely lost in a moment. Anybody? It could be as simple as like you get a flat tire and now you're stranded on the side of the road waiting for AAA. Or you get injured and you're rushing to the hospital and nothing else matters except getting to the hospital. Or you get a phone call from your kid's school. There's been an accident and you're just you hold your breath almost, just waiting to hear what's going on, waiting to hear more. Or maybe you just left your employer's office and they said, uh, your job of five years, yeah, I'm sorry, we had to let you go. And what's next? The world stops turning. Or you get to the doctor's office and he's got the test results you've been waiting for. It happened to a friend of mine, Aaron, pastor up north. He, uh, he said, He was relating this experience to me. He said he sat in this cold doctor's office and the doctor came in and shared with him the words that he dreaded hearing. What he had was terminal. He was going to die. There was no escaping it. Just like a milk carton in the grocery store, he had an expiration date stamped on his life. In a moment like that, it's like the world stops and everything that seems so important just seems to lose its significance, right? All the events on your calendar get cleared. All the noise quiets down, becomes deathly silent. And all of a sudden, the the whispered prayers began. Aaron told me that in that moment, he had a sudden clarity about what really matters in this life. He said that that moment in the doctor's office transformed him that all of a sudden he found himself living totally differently, really loving people, and every word was packed with purpose. Those, those kinds of scenarios that we're talking about, that's about as close as we can get to the moment that we find Jesus in here in the text. In this 12th chapter of John, as he stands in the center of this crowd and he shares these words, he has one week to live. And he knows it. He knows it. He's intimately familiar with the words of the prophets that he will be betrayed, that he will be mocked, that he will be slandered, that he will be delivered by his own people into the hands of the world powers for brutal judgment. Savagely beaten within an inch of his life, barbarically murdered on a cross his hands and feet nailed, his skull pierced, his lungs 
collapsed and his heart broken. But even more than all that, more than the psychological torture of waiting for his inescapable end, more than the physical torment and pain that he would endure, there was the crushing and unavoidable reality of his very real spiritual death, his separation from his father, something that had never happened from eternity past. As he would become sin, the very thing he had never experienced. In fact, he would become all the sin of all mankind of all time. That means every lie you've ever told and every lie told to you, every broken, shameful thing you've ever done, every broken, shameful thing ever done to you, things you've tucked away hoping nobody would ever find out. Every sin he would take, he would become, he would bear the judgment of it all and his soul would be crushed under the weight of it. The physical torture that we see outwardly when you watch movies like The Passion is just a glimpse, a slight glimpse at the spiritual torment he'd experience in his soul, something that Hollywood and all its magnificence couldn't even come close to portraying. He would bear the fires of hell within himself so that you and I could be free. So that you could have a new identity, a new birth into a new life so that the old shame and the the old guilt could be washed away and a new creation could emerge in its place. Because of the cross, you're not defined by your worst day. Because of the cross, you're not defined by the pain of past abuse. You're not defined by the addictions that you can't seem to overcome or by the doubts you can't seem to shake or by the unforgiveness you can't seem to let go of or by the broken systems that you've seen yourself taking part in. All the things that affect our psyche so that we walk around throughout the day with low-grade guilt And maybe you either shut God out of your head in unbelief or you adhere to some religious moral system in false belief. All the things that create the noise going on in our head and heart so that you can't drive the car without the radio on and you can't sit still at home without the TV on because you can't bear to be alone with your thoughts. All the things that fill your calendar so that you can look productive so that you can feel secure, so that you can make up for the fact that somehow you just don't feel like you measure up, even when you try to act like you do. Your mess, my mess, Jesus enters willingly into that mess, and he carries his cross right into the center of it. And he became it. That's called substitutionary atonement. That's the center of our faith. That's why we gather weekly to worship and praise because this truth is too great for our minds to hold and for our hearts to bear. We need to be reminded regularly, right? We need to be reminded of what it costs God to purchase us back from the dead. He substituted his son for us to atone for us, to redeem us, 
Paul says it this way, God made him, in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to become sin? Like, let's paint a physical picture of it that we could maybe grasp. Um, I had a grandma who had horrible arthritis. Before she passed, she, it was debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. It was, her back was crippled. Her fingers were, were crooked. And I remember seeing it as a young boy, she would knit and crochet and just wondering how she even held on to the crochet needles with those fingers. They were so distorted. And now I'm watching my mom. My mom has the same rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm seeing her fingers over the last five years start to contort. I'm seeing the pain. I'm experiencing it with her as she talks to me about the pain she's feeling every day. I've I've seen her. My mom is strong. She grew up on a ranch. She's been kicked by horses. She's a tough country gal. I've seen her weep at the pain. And here's the thing. The merciful thing about rheumatoid arthritis is it happens over an extended amount of time. Your body doesn't just bend and contort in a moment. But could you imagine what that would be like? Imagine what it would be like to go from being a healthy, whole body to becoming crippled over with rheumatoid arthritis. Can you imagine that pain? Now, imagine all the diseases of all mankind of all time attack your body in one instant. What would that feel like? That's what happened when Jesus became sin. In his soul, that's what it was like to go from a perfectly pristine, healthy body to what happened. There's nothing compared to what he felt when he became sin, and that's what he bore for us. And in this moment, in this text, all of that's before him. His time is up. His death is imminent. His schedule's cleared, right? All the things that seem so important are gone and he's focused and every word he speaks counts for something. And it's in that context that we see him march into Jerusalem with his face set like a flint. He goes, gets a donkey, rides in to fulfill the prophecy that the king is coming. And now he speaks to those who've waved palm branches on Palm Sunday and welcomed him into their city. And with his carefully chosen words, he begins to unpack his purpose for them and unveil the real nature of things. And they are dumbfounded. They can't believe it. They can't handle it. Look at verse 34. The crowd spoke up. We've heard the law that the Messiah will remain forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Jesus, you got it wrong. The Messiah is going to last forever. Why are you talking about dying? Why are you talking? We're we're supposed to be overthrowing the Romans. You're going to make us uh, free. Who's this son of man you keep talking about? Confused emoji, right? They don't get it. They don't get the fact that in the Old Testament, there's, you know, these two pictures of Messiah, the suffering servant and the reigning king. And they don't get the fact that Jesus has come to fulfill both. That he's come to set up his kingdom that will reign forever. And the price that he's paying to purchase that kingdom is his blood spilt on the cross as he suffers. It's the same blood that was spilt to purchase you and I back from the dead for that kingdom. Right? That's what's going on here. And they are missing out. They're lost in this moment. We want our kingdom. 
our way, in our time. Yeah, you can be king if it's the kingdom we want. You shouldn't be talking about dying, though. You should be talking about a plan, a plan to overthrow the Romans, a plan to usher in world peace. What are you talking about dying for? We invited you into our city so that we could get started. Now, they're so caught up in their little world with their comfort and their concerns that they're missing the big picture and they risk missing their moment. They don't get it. They don't get the fact that he's not just freeing them from the unjust governmental systems that hold them captive in their own native land, but that he's liberating them from the unseen spiritual powers that hold them captive in their own broken sin. They don't get the fact that he's not just liberating Israel, he's liberating creation. He's not just come to undo the sin of one person somewhere, but he's come to undo and reverse the the, the curse of sin in the entire universe so that the multiplying effects of this rapidly spreading disease is rooted out at the source. And God, in his infinite wisdom, has set this perfect plan into motion. So Paul says in Romans 5, for though through the disobedience of one man, he's talking about Adam, the many were made sinners. So through the obedience of one man, Jesus, will many be made righteous. They don't get this. They don't get the fact that undoing thousands of years of brokenness took this. That undoing the dark destruction of hell took this. That undoing the chaos and havoc that we've wreaked on creation took this. This was the surgeon's scalpel skillfully cutting at the cause of the cancer. This was the son of man facing our brutal hatred and mistrust of God head on. This was him loving God and glorifying God in our place. This was him trusting God and placing his life into the Father's hands in our place. And as I stand here today, I wonder if, honestly, we are any different from them. Like, do we get it? Do we understand what Jesus did for us? Do we understand what this means for our lives, for our world? Or have we grown so accustomed to the old familiar story that it's just a bunch of words to us now? Is this just the same old Sunday at the same old church with the same old preacher saying the same old things the same old way? Are we the same old church? Has the gospel lost its charm? Has the good news become old news? Have, has the warm love of our crucified God become a cold, distant reality? Have we grown immune to the effects of God on the cross? I know I do. Hey, it happens all the time, almost daily for me. Often I find myself roaming about the wastelands of my former life, living in the death that I'd been resurrected from, putting my hands and feet back into the chains I've been freed from, proclaiming the gospel with my lips but denying it with my life. If I'm honest today, I'll confess that I relate to this crowd more than I'd care to admit. Inviting Jesus into the gates of my heart and my life with palm branches in hand, 
to set up a kingdom of, of my choosing. But then I step backward in horror. I'm ready to dethrone and defame and deny him when he says, no, I have a different plan. But I want my plan. Anybody? You ever wonder how a city that's crowning Jesus one weekend can crucify him the next? How uproariously they welcomed him into the city proclaiming he was the king of the world and with even greater uproar kicked him out the other side mocking him as king of the Jews. What happens in our hearts between Sunday and Friday? Maybe it's just because we want to bring our kingdom our way in our time. Anybody? At least three people. That's good. I know who I'm preaching to. The rest of you guys just hang in there with me. Jesus says, I'm not that kind of Messiah. Like, Jesus is here saying, I'll give you a better life than the one you want, but it has, has to be done the right way in the right time. You don't understand, I'm bringing the kingdom, and it's a far better kingdom than the one you're imagining right now, and I'm a far better king than the one you might be imagining right now. And the very way I'm bringing the kingdom is this, I'm laying down my life so that it can happen. That's what Kenny was talking about last week when he preached earlier in the same dialogue that Jesus is giving about a seed that has to fall into the ground and die so that new life can emerge, so that a new plant can sprout, so that it can bear many more seeds. And what Jesus is saying is that I'm laying down my life so that the, king, uh, the seeds of this kingdom can sprout. That's what's happening at the cross. And it's got ramifications for you, for your life. When we were saying substitutionary atonement. But you know that it's also, it's also bigger than that. It's also bigger than that. It's got ramifications for the entire universe. Look at what this text says, 31. Now is the time, Jesus says. It's happening now. The time has come. The kingdom is breaking in. God is breaking into human history and doing something. And what's he say? Like, what had happened just before he says that is that God has actually spoken thunderously. Jesus has heard what he said. The crowd heard it. They didn't understand it. That was weird. Sounded like thunder or maybe an angel. I don't know, but it was weird, right? And then Jesus says, this was for your benefit. How? How is that for my benefit? I didn't even understand it, right? So he goes on to explain. So Jesus goes on, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, to me, that sounds even worse. Judgment? Like first, you say, Thunder is the voice of God. I can't understand it, but somehow it's for my benefit. And my benefit is that judgment has come on the world. This is looking bleak, right? This is looking dark, anybody? And then he says this, you don't understand. I'm uprooting the spiritual authorities. The prince of this world. Who's that, guys? Who's the prince of this world? Satan, yeah. He's getting kicked out. He's losing power. This is the great reversal. This is where the world, everything gets turned upside down. God says, do you realize how bad it was getting? God had to destroy the world with a flood once. The blatant sin in every category just spurs on more sin and multiplies, and it's been systematically destroying the face of the earth and destroying your life and my life. Addiction, rebellion, Selfishness, 
pride, murder, racism, bigotry, genocide, cannibalism, idolatry, adultery, greed, lust, destruction. You name it, sin upon sin like a virus spreading and corrupting the beauty of God's creation. Like a chainsaw ripping through and cutting the world, tearing it apart. And Jesus is like, here here I stand and I'm about to flip it on its head. How am I going to gain power? By becoming the weakness. How am I going to bring healing? By becoming the sickness. How am I going to restore beauty? By becoming the ugliness. How am I going to overturn the darkness and drive out Satan? I'm going to go die. I'm going to go die in your place. I'm going to go die to bear the judgment of the weight of this broken world. Judgment has come into this world. How's that good news? Because, guys, he wasn't saying he came to judge the world. Don't miss what he's saying here. In fact, John has been making that point pretty clear from the beginning of his gospel. Remember John 3.16? Somebody help me quote it. For God so the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? You know what the next verse says? For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. But so that the world through him might be what? Man, you guys know your Bible. Woo! It's good. And he says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. In other words, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to bear judgment, right? There's a big difference there. He didn't come to execute, but he came to be executed in our place to remove judgment from anyone who'd open their hearts to receive it. This is what that's talking about. This is that moment Jesus is entering. This is the best news ever. And they're totally missing out. They're missing their moment. Let me just pause for a minute and say this, guys. In a few minutes, we're going to come up. We're going to take communion. We're going to have a chance to respond. Don't miss your moment when God is speaking, when God is doing something, wants to do something in your heart and life. Let your head absorb the truth. Let your heart feel his love. Let your hands behave differently in light of it. Because there are basically three responses that we have to the cross. Some people say, Hey, I wanted power. I wanted signs. I wanted a king to reign a kingdom of my making and my choosing. Other people say, you know, I wanted wisdom and the cross seems pretty foolish. I don't get how God could die on a cross. I don't get how that substitutes for me. doesn't make sense. I don't need a savior. Really, I don't think. That's what Paul tells us. 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's the thing. What people are missing is this. Every one of us is broken. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, right? Scripture's really clear. What's the the Bible say the wages of our sin is? Yeah, yeah. That's the result of our brokenness, of our path that we've freely chosen apart from God. It leads to destruction. It leads to death. Your sin and my sin 
are responsible for the brokenness in this world. And the brokenness in this world is responsible for the pain and the suffering that we endure. You live for yourself your whole life. You, you work your whole life, whether knowingly or unknowingly, for the system of sin, just like Rihanna, just clicking along day by day. Work, 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 right? You're working your whole life. And at the end, you get this big fat envelope. You open it up, your paycheck, death. That sucks. But there's good news. The scriptures goes on, right? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what John just said. It's a gift, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't come to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. He came to redeem all of creation. And he's invited you and I along for the ride. The father sent his son to turn everything upside down so that this world can get increasingly better, brighter, lovelier, holier. That is what we're working toward as the church. That's why, that's why we, one of the main reasons why we gather as a family to bring God glory through the mission he's called us to. Reaching into the darkness and bringing light with us. Remember Jesus said that at the end of this passage. At the end of this passage, he says, don't miss your moment. Don't get overwhelmed by the darkness again. Come to the light while you can. Be children of the light. Become light in a dark world. That's, that's Jesus' last words before he ducks and runs. And that's, he's talking about the church. That, everybody say, that's me. That's me. Reaching into the darkness and depravity of broken lives and broken homes and broken systems and bringing hope and grace and love to build his kingdom here. Not to hate people for their sin, but to love them in spite of it. Amen. I want to be like Jesus. He didn't come to judge. He didn't come to condemn. What did he do? He came to love. I want to be a good news blogger. I want to shout out the good news of the kingdom for people. To love, to care, to share, and to give our lives. And we do this all because we have this ultimate hope that one day he will return as king and he will bring to fruition the work he initiated at the cross in this week that we're talking about. But all that daily work that we do, that kingdom work, that calling we're following must remain connected to the cross lest we wander astray. Lest our hearts grow cold in the work. You guys ever do that? Get so busy doing things for God that you forget to talk to him? And our affections grow weak and our motivations shift and we find ourselves building our kingdoms again. And wanting Jesus to be our stool pigeon, wanting him to be our puppet king who sits on our throne and does our bidding for us. But when we see Jesus on the cross, regularly, daily, and allow our hearts to melt again at his love for us, it was his love that caused him to crawl on that cross. Let our souls be drawn to him as he's lifted up as our savior and king. Kenny was inspired by this passage and he wrote some words this week. I've asked him to come up and share them. He's gonna uh, read them and then we'll come up and close here at the end. I just wanna, I wanna invite you guys, even if you want to close your eyes, listen in to the words of what it means to see Christ lifted up and exalted and to worship him and allow your heart to begin to worship 
But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The power that draws us to Jesus is the fact that he was crucified. His manner of death is the manner of our life. He was exalted to his throne when he was nailed to and raised on the cross for all to see. The stark contrast of what is going on is astounding. The ugliness of death draws us into the beauty of life. Beaten, maimed, bloodied, naked, alone, forsaken, betrayed, abused, wrongfully accused, humiliated, mocked, exhausted. Usually we lift up what we worship, what we exalt, but in this instance, we're lifting up something or someone who is disdained. We turned our face because it was too gruesome. Yet, this act of ugliness, this scene of gore, this is the most attractive force that Christ uses on the world. If I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Like the Israelites, suffering from the plague of serpents, dying left and right, receiving the just penalty for their actions. They looked to the bronze snake that Moses fashioned, and they received life, the antidote for their ailment, the reverse of their curse. We're drawn to Jesus on the cross because it is the most beautiful scene in human history. The love of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God and the glory of God are put on display in the cross of Christ. How so? The God-man who did no wrong, who only shared with us what God is like, who spoke God's words and did God's deeds, this man was put to death for his righteousness so that we who were doomed to death in our sins could instead look to Christ on the cross and receive his life and righteousness. The cross is horribly pungent, but irresistibly aromatic. The cross is an instrument of death that becomes a means to life, a show of rejection that is the greatest display of affection, lighting the way toward love. Jesus, holy, righteous, and pure, counted his own life not too great a cost for his people to be reconciled to God, to present a people pure and holy, blameless, Jesus went to the cross so that we could become the church. Instead of being beaten, we're brought in. Instead of being maimed, we're healed. Instead of bloodied, we're saved by his blood. Instead of naked, we've been given a royal robe. Instead of being alone, we're family at the foot of the cross. Instead of forsaken, we're forgiven. Instead of betrayed, we've got a perfect brother. Instead of abuse, we've been adored by God. Instead of accusation, we've been given acclamation. Instead of humiliation, we've been given salvation. Instead of mockery, we've been given a new name. Instead of exhausted, we're now exhilarated with grace. Instead of a gruesome death, we've been given a grace-filled future. Oh, the wonderful cross. At the foot of the cross is where I made the greatest exchange or whether where Christ made the great exchange for me. Truly, people will be drawn by a Savior who served us in suffering. The Creator did not shy away from the horrors and the pains of humanity, but rather overcame the evil in this world by sacrificing His life to it. It's because of His sacrifice that we have salvation. It's because of His willingness that we have hope. 
May the essence of the cross be the most attractional part of our lives as well. May we say to Jesus, my life is alive for your cause. My will laid aside for your call. May the sacrifice of our lives, not to idols of success, significance, security, satisfaction, but to Jesus Christ be the sacrifice that draws all those around us. May it be the dying to ourselves that draws others to life in Jesus. Woo! That's the gospel. Amen? So I want to ask you guys as we close today two simple questions. As you think about the fact that the gospel has tremendous range, it affects everything. Like, you, you know those scenes in the movies where it zooms into the molecules and it zooms way out to like, like in Men in Black during the credits and it zooms way out to the, the, the cosmos and the universe? The gospel affects everything. It affects the, the deepest part of your soul, the smallest part of your life. And it's changing the entire world, the entire created order. So as you think about that today, let me ask you guys, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? As we come down here and, and take communion, I want you to consider that. And not to be melodramatic, but just because I was talking to my friend this week and I started thinking about what it would mean to have a week to live, I want to ask you guys to, to imagine that for yourselves. Imagine if tomorrow you did find out that you had one week to live. What things would rise to the surface of your priorities? Who would you forgive? Who would you tell, I love you? Who would you take by the hand and lead to the cross? If you had one week to live, how would your life change? I want you to consider that and ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me right now? And what am I going to do about it? And maybe you've never believed, but you heard the gospel today and you're thinking about it seriously. Maybe you want to consider becoming a Christ follower. I just want to invite you, come talk to me, come talk to Kenny at the end during communion. Let's talk about what's next for you. We just baptized Scott K. last week. And right now the water's really warm all over San Diego, so... If anybody get, wants to get in, you know, it's, it's nice. Maybe you have believed, but you're struggling. Maybe you're living more in the old patterns and ways of life. I want to remind you two things. One, you're loved. You're forgiven. You're not defined by your failures or for your successes, for that matter. So I want you to come share your struggle over communion and let someone in the family of God remind you about the gospel. Amen as we take the bread that represents the righteous life lived in Christ's flesh every day of his life, that righteousness is yours. As we, as we sip the wine that reminds us of the blood that was spilt to purchase your forgiveness, we receive our full pardon. We remember the good news of the gospel. We get to proclaim that to one another. And number two, I want to remind you, you're not hopeless. That Jesus can give you victory today. You can come and receive prayer and receive victory in your life. We know that one day, everything's going to be changed and you'll be completely healed. But in the meantime, when you look at Jesus' ministry, he seems to be going around doing a lot of healing, doesn't he? Proclaiming the kingdom. And I believe God wants to do some healing here today. So if you would like prayer, come up and talk to one of us. And we invite anyone who's a believer to take part in communion. If you're not a believer yet, feel free to join in a circle anyway with two or three people listen in or come receive prayer 
or hang back and relax if you'd like. And uh, we're going to wrap things up in about, about 10 minutes or so with a song and a benediction. Let me pray over you. God, thank you so much for your wisdom that is seen in the cross of Christ. Now, even though it still overloads my circuits trying to think about it, there we do know that your love was put on display for us. And I pray that anybody in this place that hasn't experienced your love in a way that they've known it or, or for people that maybe haven't experienced it in a while, that they would feel your love in this place today that they would look to the cross and that their heart would melt and they would see your son dying in their place and that that would be good news. Holy Spirit, only you can do that work. So we ask you to come into this place and do your work, have your way, melt our hearts, help us to respond to the good news today. And I pray that as we do, you would give us wisdom, give us insight into our own lives and hearts so that we can surrender more and more of our lives to Jesus, so that we can leave this place full of the power of the Spirit, ready to be, really really become a new city in San Diego that shows the surrounding city that's broken and dark and hurting what your kingdom is like. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen.